0: Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of The New Abnormal, and we thank you so much for being here. This interview is with Gita Gandabir, who's a six-time Emmy Award nominee and two-time Emmy Award winner director. And she's done documentaries like A Journey of a Thousand Miles, Peacekeepers, I Am Evidence, Prison Dogs, all sorts of amazing work. And today she's going to talk to us about her latest, Black and Missing, which is out now on HBO.
1: Welcome to The New Abnormal, Keita. Thank you so much for having me. So talk to me about the show.
0: Sure. So the series that I just finished is titled Black and Missing, and it follows the Black and and Missing Foundation and its founders, um, who are sister-in-laws, which made this show actually a lot of fun. Derica Wilson and Natalie Wilson. Derica is married to Natalie's brother. So they're very close. They basically concerned by the lack of media coverage and the lack of attention to that was given from but they historically from law enforcement um, to missing black and brown folks. They decided to form an organization, which they called the Black and Missing Foundation. And through that organization, they advocate and raise awareness for the families of missing people of color and they were formed in 2008 and it's interesting because the series could really not be more timely considering it's I mean it was always timely to be honest but you know recently in the media we sort of had the phenomenon of the Gabby Petito case which brought a lot of attention to you know again a tragic story deserving of coverage but it highlighted the discrepancy between the coverage of missing white women in particular and everyone else. So
1: what's interesting to me about the Gabby Petito case, and I've written about it, is that at that same time, there was a woman who went missing who was an indigenous woman, right?
0: Correct. That discrepancy, you know, has been widely and, you know, has been widely discussed, and it 's you know again this is critical. I think you know in the series it 's interesting we we discuss the the topic of missing white women 's syndrome and Gwen Eiffel you know brilliantly coined that term, and this was years ago, but you know having worked in the news, she sort of saw. The media frenzy that would ensue every time a white woman, you know, such as a Natalie Holloway,
1: right? We know their names.
0: Yes, and what's so interesting is, you know, Natalie Wilson says to us in the series, "I challenge anyone to name five missing women of color," and they can't do it. So it just it speaks to, you know, where sort of the bias, the racial bias, and you know, where the attention lies
1: yeah that is just so disturbing so talk to me about what it was like to make this did you learn a lot of stuff that you didn't know before
0: so I absolutely did you know we came at this film myself and my team you know Soledad O'Brien's company SOB Productions came to me with this film it didn't I mean with this series I should say it didn't originate with me so they came to me and you know and asked if I would be part of it. And I have a long relationship with HBO, which has been really wonderful. And they've always really supported my work. So when, you know, the, the of course, conceptually, it fit in with a lot of what I'm interested in, you know, as which is, you know, I like to do work that focuses on so- social justice issues. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in other things as well, but that's sort of my heart. And I think a lot of us documentary filmmakers do that kind of work, you know, are interested in, you know, the sort of stories that are not otherwise covered, you know, in the media. Um, So this was really interesting to me, but I, you know, and I understood that sort of the foundation of the issues are all structural, really, when you look at it, you know, there's sort of major overlying problems with our society that cause BIPOC people to go missing at a disproportionate rate and to remain missing. And I think, you know, we, so we look in this series at, you know, systemic and structural racism, which is sort of founded in white supremacy and anti-blackness, you know, which, you know, unfortunately was the, the foundation of, you know, our country. Right. So that's something that we look at. And and then we also look at um, issues of poverty, issues of sexism and violence against women, We look at mental health. These are sort of the overlying structural things. But what was interesting for me is I really didn't understand how they manifested. Right. You know, like, and it's something as simple as black children being disproportionately labeled runaways.
1: Right. It's possible that it's like a policing issue, too, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's policing, and there's always been, and we look at that bias as well, and the the issues that exist between, you know, there's there's long-standing tension between the African American community, you know, and law enforcement. Right?
1: They're not committed to protecting that group; they're committed to prosecuting that group.
0: Yes, the African American community and BIPOC communities in general have long been marginalized. There's a long history of abuse. There's a history of criminalization. You know, there's the sort of prison industrial complex is founded on kind of cycling us through it, right? As BIPOC people. And so this is a huge problem, you know, so there's the systemic, and again, systemic racism infiltrates everything, right? It infiltrates every aspect of our society and every institution in our society. And I think until that's dismantled, you know, it's going to be very challenging for, for black and brown folks, I should say, to get sort of, fair, and just treatment by any of these organizations that are meant to protect and serve us. The devil is really in the details because sometimes it's incredibly, it's it's nuanced in a way that we wouldn't know. Like when you think about a runaway child and the fact that if you label a child a runaway, they don't tend to receive amber alerts they seen they are often criminalized they're seen as a bad kid or a problem kid right not as a victim and that alone you know the, the fact that the police disproportionately label black and brown kids of runaways means that they don't receive the attention needed by the media by the even by the community so you know whether or not we realize it we have our own right the communities at large have our own biases about these issues so it was, it's it's things like that that too there's certainly the overarching things that we can talk about that we see in the news you know like police violence and and you know the protests against them but then it's also in the the small things the like it's the the font you can't read and the legal the sort of the legal system too, which really puts us in more peril.
1: Can you tell us one story about like a family, a missing child that you interviewed the family of for this documentary?
0: I want to just make sure that I'm clear that the, the series focuses on both children and adults. And obviously one is, I don't want to say that either are more important than the other, but I think, you know, the obviously Derek and Natalie have said that the cases that trouble them the most are the cases of children because you know the onus is on all of us as a society to protect our children and there is a real failing there. I think one of the the most the saddest stories or the most tragic stories in that encapsulates so many of the issues. It's sort of a microcosm for all the structural issues that we talk about in this series is the Relisha Rudd case. And um, Relisha, it's a fairly well-known case, you know, about an eight-year-old girl who went missing from a homeless shelter in DC. What I found the most alarming about that story was really not the idea that she went missing. And it's the fact that she actually was missing for an extended period of time before anyone took notice how long she had been out of school for approximately a month before anyone really flagged it and she was at a living in a shelter and there's there's a incredible activist in our series her name is Black Rose she was living in a shelter where people were being paid salaries (laughs) to look out for the welfare of the families and the children she just slipped through the cracks. Now her parents are also extremely vulnerable. Um, her mother is uh, struggles with mental health issues and had grown up in poverty, had been in the foster care system. Um, the father also—this had this, her stepfather, I should say—because her, her father is not wasn't in the picture, but at the time. But the her stepfather, who was raising her, also you know had his own struggles, and so. Again, there's just, you know, and this beautiful eight-year-old girl disappears from the shelter. You know, it's not reported, basically, or is missing, you know, significant amounts of school. And um, it was a school social worker who actually figured it out and flagged it and called the cops. And You know, the cops were called eventually because he he realized something was very wrong. But what is so disturbing about that is the idea of that people just are sort of so marginalized that they just fall through the cracks.
1: Did they ever find
0: her? Um, no, she remains missing to this day. I, I don't know of how much I want to give away because the, I mean, obviously you could, it could be found online, but it's a very, you know, it's a very like a sort of a terrible crime story and we still don't know where she is. And that I think is, you know, the question, you know, at the end of that story is really, could this happen again? And every single person who worked on it, you know, or was involved with it said, yes, absolutely. You know, that was one of the most difficult.
1: Do you see things that could be implemented that could help.
0: Absolutely. So I think so much of what happens, again, the ills in our society, oftentimes we, there's like an emergency room response when something happens. But as we know, a lot of times people end up in the emergency room for things that were preventable. You know, it had a you know, really it's about investment in our communities. You know, there's things like um, desperate poverty lead for, you know, oftentimes with, with children who leave the home or are lured, that's a huge problem, right? Is the trafficking of children. And, you know, when we're talking about children, we're talking about, you know, most states, you're a child until you're 16, right? But so trafficking and then, which is also sex trafficking, oftentimes children are lured online, and, you know, so there's oftentimes parents who must work three and four jobs to support their families, you know, don't have as much time to, you know, to, to pay attention to their kids and make sure that they're not online or doing unsafe things. Even parents, honestly, who do have the time can lose track of what's happening with their kids online. And, you know, children who live in poverty are more vulnerable to being lured Because again, the folks who lure them, sort of perpetrators of, of luring and then trafficking offer them things that they don't have access to, you know, they'll buy them a cell phone, they'll buy them shoes, they'll buy them clothes. You know, that's a, you know, there's a process that happens of grooming and then kids leave home, you know, eventually because they're, you know, they don't feel like they're getting at home what they might need. And then poverty also leads to, you know, there's, it's well-known that it exacerbates mental health issues. It leaves people more vulnerable to putting themselves in risky situations. And then there's also, it leads to domestic violence and black women are uh, disproportionately victims of domestic violence. You just see that, again, it's, it sort of starts with families being terribly under-resourced and then at every turn facing other systemic barriers that are often you know caused by race you know racism i should say and so it's really i think resourcing communities and communities want to take care of themselves they absolutely want to right like we all want to be self sufficient and independent and you know take pride in taking care of ourselves and our communities but due to systemic racism and you know like a long history of economic, you know, economic racism and disenfranchisement. Essentially, you know, some folks have not had the chance to do so, have not had the chance to sort of live in an economically stable situation. So I think it's, it's really critical to look at the roots of these issues so that we can sort of solve the larger problems. I mean, there's obviously the bigger issues of systemic bias and in policing and law enforcement, and that needs to be changed. Like we need to race it, root out systemic racism in all our institutions. Um, so those are those are some of some of the things, and only some.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, looking forward to seeing the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of the New Abnormal from the Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from the Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode.